When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to Another World Audiobooks. So sorry about no episode last week, guys. I was traveling, getting sick, and other stuff. They just don't mix well with getting podcasts out on time, apparently. But the good news is that expands the amount of time you have to enter the book giveaway. Remember, all you have to do is to sign up to be a patron of the podcast at patreon.com slash anotherworldaudiobooks, and you'll automatically be entered. It's a lousy $1 a month. Come on. I know you probably lose that much change in your car every week. You'll keep the podcast going, plus you'll have a great shot at winning a beautiful hardcover edition of Pride and Prejudice. But remember, this is only a limited time offer for new patrons. Do it now. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash anotherworldaudiobooks. If you don't want to support the show, anotherworldaudiobooks.wordpress.com and click through the Amazon banners. And now, without further ado, I give you chapters 48 through 52 of Pride and Prejudice. Enjoy. Chapter 48 The whole party were in hopes of a letter from Mr. Bennet the next morning, but the post came in without bringing a single line from him. His family knew him to be, on all common occasions, a most negligent and dilatory correspondent, but at such a time they had hoped for exertion. They were forced to conclude that he had no pleasing intelligence to send, but even of that they would have been glad to be certain. Mr. Gardner waited only for the letters before he set off. When he was gone, they were certain at least of receiving constant information of what was going, and their uncle promised, at parting, to prevail on Mr. Bennet to return to Longbourn as soon as he could, to the great consolation of his sister, who considered it as the only security of her husband's not being killed in a duel. Mrs. Gardner and the children were to remain in Hertfordshire a few days longer, as the former thought her presence might be serviceable to her nieces. She shared in their attendance on Mrs. Bennet, and was a great comfort to them in their hours of freedom. Their other aunt also visited them frequently, and always, as she said, with the design of cheering and hardening them up, though, as she never came without reporting some fresh instance of Wickham's extravagance and irregularity, she seldom went away without leaving them more dispirited than she found them. All Meriton seemed striving to blacken the man who, but three months before, had been almost an angel of light. He was declared to be in debt to every tradesman in the place, and his intrigues, all honoured with the title of seduction, had been extended into every tradesman's family. Everybody declared that he was the wickedest young man in the world, and everybody began to find out that they had always distrusted the appearance of his goodness. Elizabeth, though she did not credit above half of what was said, believed enough to make her former assurance of her sister's ruin more certain, and even Jane, who believed still less of it, became almost hopeless more especially as the time was now come when, if they had gone to Scotland, which she had never before entirely despaired of, they must in all probability have gained some news of them. Mr. Gardiner left Longbourn on Sunday. On Tuesday, his wife received a letter from him. It told them that, on his arrival, he had immediately found out his brother, and persuaded him to come to Gracechurch Street, that Mr. Bennet had been to Epsom and Clapham before his arrival, but without gaining any satisfactory information and that he was now determined to inquire at all the principal hotels in the town, as Mr. Bennet thought it possible they might have gone to one of them on their first coming to London, before they procured lodgings. Mr. Gardiner himself did not expect any success from this measure, but as his brother was eager in it, he meant to assist him in pursuing it. He added that Mr. Bennet seemed wholly disinclined at present to leave London, and promised to write again very soon. There was also a postscript to this effect. I have written to Colonel Foster to desire him to find out, if possible, from some of the young man's intimates in the regiment, whether Wickham has any relations or connections, who would be likely to know in what part of town he has now concealed himself. If there were any one that one could apply to with a probability of getting such a clue as that, it might be of essential consequence. At present, we have nothing to guide us. Colonel Foster will, I dare say, do everything in his power to satisfy us on this head. But on second thought, perhaps Lizzie could tell us what relations he has now living, better than any other person. Elizabeth was at no loss to understand from whence this deference to her authority proceeded, but it was not in her power to give any information of so satisfactory a nature as the compliment deserved. She had never heard of his having had any relations, except a father and mother, both of whom had been dead many years. It was possible, however, that some of his companions in the Shire might be able to give more information. 
and though she was not very sanguine in expecting it, the application was something to look forward to. Every day at Longbourn was now a day of anxiety, but the most anxious part of each was when the post was expected. The arrival of letters was the grand object of every morning's impatience. Through letters, whatever good or bad was to be told would be communicated, and every succeeding day was expected to bring some news of importance. But before they heard again from Mr. Gardner, a letter arrived from their father, from a different quarter, from Mr. Collins, which, as Jane had received directions to open all that came to him in his absence, she accordingly read, and Elizabeth, who knew what curiosities his letters always were, looked over her and read it likewise. It was as follows. My dear sir, I feel myself called upon by our relationship and my situation in life to condole with you on the grievous affliction you are now suffering under, of which we were yesterday informed by a letter from Hertfordshire. Be assured, my dear sir, that Mrs. Collins and myself sincerely sympathise with you and all your respectable family in your present distress, which must be of the bitterest kind, because proceeding from a cause which no time can remove... No argument shall be wanting on my part that can alleviate so severe a misfortune, or that may comfort you under a circumstance that must be of all others the most afflicting to a parent's mind. The death of your daughter would have been a blessing in comparison to this, and it is the more to be lamented, because there is reason to suppose, as my dear Charlotte informs me, that this licentiousness of behaviour in your daughter has proceeded from a faulty degree of indulgence, though, at the same time, from the consolation of yourself and Mrs. Bennet, I am inclined to think that her own disposition must be naturally bad, or she could not be guilty of such an enormity at so early an age. Howsoever that may be, you are grievously to be pitied, in which opinion I am not only joined by Mrs. Collins, but likewise by Lady Catherine and her daughter, to whom I have related the affair. They agree with me in apprehending that this false step in one daughter will be injurious to the fortunes of all the others, for who, as Lady Catherine herself condescendingly says, will connect themselves with such a family? And this consideration leaves me moreover to reflect, with augmented satisfaction, on a certain event of last November, for had it been otherwise, I must have been involved in all your sorrow and disgrace. Let me then advise you, dear sir, to console yourself as much as possible, to throw off your unworthy child from your affection for ever, and leave her to reap the fruits of her own heinous offence. I am, dear sir, etc., etc. Mr. Gardiner did not write again till he had received an answer from Colonel Forster, and then he had nothing of a pleasant nature to send. It was not known that Wickham had a single relationship with whom he kept up any connection, and it was certain he had no near one living. His former acquaintances had been numerous, but since he had been in the militia, it did not appear that he was on terms of particular friendship with any of them. There was no one, therefore, who could be pointed out as likely to give any news of him. And, in the wretched state of his own finances, there was a very powerful motive for secrecy, in addition to his fear of discovery by Lydia's relations, for it had just transpired that he had left gaming debts behind him to a very considerable amount. Colonel Forster believed that more than a thousand pounds would be necessary to clear his expenses at Brighton. He owed a good deal in town, but his debts of honour were still more formidable. Mr. Gardiner did not attempt to conceal these particulars from the Longbourn family. Jane heard them with horror. A gamester! she cried. This is wholly unexpected. I had not an idea of it. Mr. Gardiner added in his letter that they might expect to see their father at home on the following day, which was Saturday. Rendered spiritless by the ill success of all their endeavours, he had yielded to his brother-in-law's entreaty that he would return to his family, and leave it to him to do whatever occasion might suggest to be advisable for continuing their pursuit. When Mrs. Bennet was told of this, she did not express so much satisfaction as her children expected, considering what her anxiety for his life had been before. "'What? Is he coming home? And without poor Lydia?' she cried. "'Sure he will not leave London before he has found them. Who is to fight Wickham and make him marry her if he comes away?' As Mrs. Gardner began to wish to be at home, it was settled that she and the children should go to London, at the same time that Mr. Bennet came from it. The coach, therefore, took them the first stage of their journey, and brought its master back to Longbourn. Mrs. Gardiner went away in all the perplexity about Elizabeth and her Derbyshire friend that had attended her from that part of the world. His name had never been voluntarily mentioned before them by her niece, and the kind of half-expectation which Mrs. Gardiner had formed of their being followed by a letter from him had ended in nothing. Elizabeth had received none since her return that could come from Pemberley. The present unhappy state of the family rendered any excuse for the loneliness of her spirits unnecessary. 
Nothing, therefore, could be fairly conjectured from that, though Elizabeth, who was by this time tolerably well acquainted with her own feelings, was perfectly aware that, had she known nothing of Darcy, she could have borne the dread of Lydia's infamy somewhat better. It would have spared her, she thought, one sleepless night out of two. When Mr. Bennet arrived, he had all the appearance of his usual philosophic composure. He said as little as he had ever been in the habit of saying, made no mention of the business that had taken him away, and it was some time before his daughters had courage to speak of it. It was not till the afternoon, when he had joined them at tea, that Elizabeth ventured to introduce the subject, and then, on her briefly expressing her sorrow for what he must have endured, he replied, "'Say nothing of that. Who should suffer but myself? It has been my own doing, and I ought to feel it.' "'You must not be too severe upon yourself,' replied Elizabeth. "'You may well warn me against such an evil. Human nature is so prone to fall into it. No, Lizzie.' Let me once in my life feel how much I have been to blame. I am not afraid of being overpowered by the impression. It will pass away soon enough. Do you suppose them to be in London? Yes. Where else can they be so well concealed? And Lydia used to want to go to London, added Kitty. She is happy then, said her father dryly, and her residence there will probably be of some duration. Then, after a short silence, he continued. Lizzie, I bear you no ill will for being justified in your advice to me last May, which, considering the event, shows some greatness of mind. They were interrupted by Miss Bennet, who came to fetch her mother's tea. This is a parade, he cried, which does one good. It gives such an elegance to misfortune. Another day I will do the same. I will sit in my library, in my nightcap and pondering gown, and give as much trouble as I can. Or perhaps I may defer it till Kitty runs away. "'I'm not going to run away, Papa,' said Kitty fretfully. "'If I should ever go to Brighton, I would have behaved better than Lydia.' "'You go to Brighton. I would not trust you so near it as Eastbourne for fifty pounds. "'No, Kitty, I have at last learned to be cautious, and you will feel the effects of it. "'No officer is ever to enter into my house again, nor even to pass through the village. "'Balls will be absolutely prohibited unless you stand up with one of your sisters.' and you are never to stir out of doors till you can prove that you have spent ten minutes of every day in a rational manner. Kitty, who took all these threats in a serious light, began to cry. Well, well, said he, do not make yourself unhappy. If you are a good girl for the next ten years, I will take you to a review at the end of them. Chapter 49 Two days after Mr. Bennet's return, as Jane and Elizabeth were walking together in the shrubbery behind the house, they saw the housekeeper coming towards them, and concluding that she came to call them to their mother, went forward to meet her, but instead of the expected summons, when they approached her, she said to Miss Bennet, "'I beg your pardon, madame, for interrupting you, but I was in hopes you might have got some good news from town, so I took the liberty of coming to ask.' "'What do you mean, Hill? We have heard nothing from town.' "'Dear madame,' cried Mrs. Hill, in great astonishment, "'don't you know there is an express come for master from Mr. Gardiner? "'He has been there this half-hour, and master has had a letter.' "'Away ran the girls, too eager to get in to have time for speech. "'They ran through the vestibule into the breakfast-room, from thence to the library. "'Their father was in neither, and they were on the point of seeking him upstairs with their mother, "'when they were met by the butler, who said, "'If you are looking for my master, madame, he is walking towards the little copse.' Upon this information, they instantly passed through the hall once more, and ran across the lawn after their father, who was deliberately pursuing his way towards a small wood on one side of the paddock. Jane, who was not so light nor so much in the habit of running as Elizabeth, soon lagged behind while her sister, panting for breath, came up with him and eagerly cried out, "'Oh, Papa, what news, what news? Have you heard from my uncle?' "'Yes, I have had a letter from him by express.' "'Well, and what news does it bring, good or bad?' "'What is there of good to be expected?' said he, taking the letter from his pocket. "'But perhaps you would like to read it.' Elizabeth impatiently caught it from his hand. Jane now came up. "'Read it aloud,' said the father, "'for I hardly know myself what it is about. "'Gracechurch Street, Monday, August 2nd. "'My dear brother, "'at last I am able to send you some tidings of my niece.' and such as, upon the whole, I hope it will give you satisfaction. Soon after you left me on Saturday, I was fortunate enough to find out in what part of London they were. 
The particulars I reserve till we meet. It is enough to know they are discovered. I have seen them both. Then it is as I always hoped, cried Jane. They were married. Elizabeth read on. I have seen them both. They are not married, nor can I find there was any intention of being so. But if you are willing to perform the engagements which I have ventured to make on your side, I hope it will not be long before they are. All that is required of you is to assure to your daughter, by settlement, her equal share of the five thousand pounds secured among your children after the decease of yourself and my sister, and moreover, to enter into engagement of allowing her, during your life, one hundred pounds per annum. These are conditions which, considering everything, I had no hesitation in complying with, as far as I thought myself privileged for you. I shall send this by express, that no time may be lost in bringing me your answer. You will easily comprehend from these particulars that Mr. Wickham's circumstances are not so hopeless as they are generally believed to be. The world has been deceived in that respect, and I am happy to say there will be some little money, even when all his debts are discharged, to settle on my niece, in addition to her own fortune. If, as I conclude, will be the case, you send me full powers to act in your name throughout the whole of this business, I will immediately give directions to Haggerston for preparing a proper settlement. There will not be the smallest occasion for your coming to town again. Therefore, stay quiet at Longbourn, and depend upon my diligence and care. Send back your answer as fast as you can, and be careful to write explicitly. We have judged it best that your niece should be married from this house, of which I hope you will approve. She comes to us today. I shall write again as soon as anything more is determined on. Yours, etc., Edmund Gardner. Is it possible? cried Elizabeth when she had finished. Can it be possible that he will marry her? Wickham is not so undeserving, then, as we thought, said her sister. My dear father, I congratulate you. And have you answered the letter? cried Elizabeth. No, but it must be done soon. Most earnestly did she then entreat him to lose no more time before he wrote. "'Oh, my dear father,' she cried, "'come back and write immediately. Consider how important every moment is in such a case.' "'Let me write it for you,' said Jane, "'if you dislike the trouble yourself.' "'I dislike it very much,' he replied. "'But it must be done.' So saying, he turned back with him and walked towards the house. "'And may I ask?' said Elizabeth. But the terms, I suppose, must be complied with. Complied with? I am only ashamed of his asking so little. And they must marry, yet he is such a man. Yes, yes, they must marry. There is nothing else to be done. But there are two things that I want very much to know. One is, how much money your uncle has laid down to bring it about, and the other, how am I ever to pay him? Money? "'My uncle!' cried Jane. "'What do you mean, sir?' "'I mean that no man in his senses would marry Lydia on so slight a temptation as one hundred a year during my life, and fifty after I'm gone.' "'This is very true,' said Elizabeth, though it had not occurred to me before. "'His debts to be discharged, and something still to remain. "'Oh, it must be my uncle's doings. "'Generous good man, I am afraid he has distressed himself. "'A small sum could not do all this.' No, said her father. Wickham's a fool if he takes her with a farthing less than ten thousand pounds. I should be sorry to think so ill of him in the very beginning of our relationship. Ten thousand pounds! Heaven forbid! How is half such a sum to be repaid? Mr. Bennet made no answer, and each of them, deep in thought, continued silently till they reached the house. Their father then went to the library to write, and the girls walked into the breakfast-room. "'And they are really to be married!' cried Elizabeth, as soon as they were by themselves. "'How strange this is! And for this we are to be thankful! "'That they should marry, small as their chance of happiness, "'and wretched as his character, we are forced to rejoice! "'Oh, Lydia!' "'I comfort myself in thinking,' replied Jane, "'that he certainly would not marry Lydia "'if he had not a real regard for her, "'though our kind uncle has done something towards clearing him. "'I cannot believe that ten thousand pounds—' or anything like it, has been advanced. He has children of his own, and may have more. How could he spare half ten thousand pounds? If you were ever able to learn what Wickham's debts have been, said Elizabeth, and how much is settled on his side on our sister, we shall exactly know what Mr. Gardiner has done for them, because Wickham has not sixpence of his own. 
The kindness of my uncle and aunt can never be requited. Their taking her home and affording her their personal protection and countenance is such a sacrifice to her advantage as years of gratitude cannot enough acknowledge. By this time she is actually with them. If such goodness does not make her miserable now, she will never deserve to be happy. What a meeting for her when she first sees my aunt! We must endeavour to forget all that has passed on either side, said Jane. I hope and trust they will yet be happy. His consenting to marry her is proof, I will believe, that he has come to a right way of thinking. Their mutual affection will steady them, and I flatter myself they will settle so quietly and live in so rational a manner as may in time make their past imprudence forgotten. Their conduct has been such, replied Elizabeth, as neither you nor I nor anybody can ever forget. It is useless to talk of it. It now occurred to the girls that their mother was in all likelihood perfectly ignorant of what had happened. They went to the library, therefore, and asked their father whether he would not wish to make it known to her. He was writing, and without raising his head, coolly replied, Just as you please. May we take my uncle's letter to read to her? Take whatever you like and get away. Elizabeth took the letter from his writing-table, and they went up the stairs together. Mary and Kitty were both with Mrs. Bennet. One communication would, therefore, do for all. After a slight preparation for good news, the letter was read aloud. Mrs. Bennet could hardly contain herself. As soon as Jane had read Mr. Gardiner's hope of Lydia being soon married, her joy burst forth, and every following sentence added to its exuberance. She was now in an irritation as violent from delight as she had ever been fidgety from alarm and vexation. To know that her daughter would be married soon enough, she was disturbed by no fear for her felicity, nor humbled by any remembrance of her misconduct. "'My dear, dear Lydia,' she cried, "'this is delightful indeed. She will be married. I shall see her again. She will be married at sixteen. My good, kind brother, I knew how it would be. I knew he would manage everything. How I long to see her, and to see dear Wickham too. But the Clothes, the wedding clothes. I will write to my sister Gardner about them directly. Lizzie, my dear, run down to your father and ask him how much he will give her. Stay, stay, I will go myself. Ring the bell, Kitty, for Hill. I will put on my things in a moment. My dear Lydia, how merry we shall be together when we meet. Her eldest daughter endeavoured to give some relief to the violence of these transports by leading her thoughts to the obligations which Mr. Gardner's behaviour laid them all under. For we must attribute this happy conclusion, she added, in a great measure to his kindness. We are persuaded that he has pledged himself to assist Mr. Wickham with money. Well, cried her mother, it is all very right. Who should do it but her own uncle? If he had not a family of his own, I and my children must have had all his money, you know. And it is the first time we have ever had anything from him except a few presents. Well, I am so happy. In a short time I shall have a daughter married. Mrs. Wickham! How well it sounds. And she was only sixteen last June. My dear Jane, I am in such a flutter that I am sure I can't write. So I will dictate, and you will write for me. We will settle with your father about the money afterwards, but the thing should be ordered immediately. She was then proceeding to all the particulars of calico, muslin, and cambric, and would shortly have dictated some very plentiful orders, had not Jane, though with some difficulty, persuaded her to wait till her father was at leisure to be consulted. One day's delay, she observed, would be of small importance, and her mother was too happy to be quite so obstinate as usual. Other schemes, too, came into her head. "'I will go to Meryton,' said she, "'as soon as I am dressed, and tell the good... Good news to my sister Phillips, and as I come back, I can call on Lady Lucas and Mrs. Long. Kitty, run down and order the carriage. An airing would do me a great deal of good, I am sure. Girls, can I do anything for you at Meryton? Oh, here comes Hill, my dear Hill. Have you heard the good news? Lydia is going to be married, and you shall all have a bowl of punch to make merry at her wedding. Mrs. Hill began instantly to express her joy. Elizabeth received her congratulations amongst the rest, and then, sick of this folly, took refuge in her own room, that she might think with freedom. Poor Lydia's situation must, at best, be bad enough, but that it was no worse, she had need to be thankful. She felt it so, and though, in looking forward, neither rational happiness nor worldly prosperity could be justly expected for her sister, in looking back to what they had feared only two hours ago, she felt all the advantages of what they had gained. Chapter 50. 
Mr. Bennet had very often wished before this period of his life that, instead of spending his whole income, he had laid by an annual sum for the better provision of his children, and of his wife, if she survived him. He now wished it more than ever. Had he done his duty with that respect, Lydia need not have been indebted to her uncle, for whatever of honour or credit could now be purchased for her. The satisfaction of prevailing on one of the most worthless young men in Great Britain to be her husband might then have rested in its proper place. He was seriously concerned that a cause of so little advantage to any one should be forwarded at the sole expense of his brother-in-law, and he was determined, if possible, to find out the extent of his assistance and to discharge the obligation as soon as he could. When first Mr. Bennet had married, economy was held to be perfectly useless, for, of course, they were to have a son. The son was to join in cutting off the entail as soon as he should be of age, and the widow and younger children would by that means be provided for. Five daughters successively entered the world, but yet the son was to come, and Mrs. Bennet, for many years after Lydia's birth, had been certain that he would. This event had at last been despaired of, but it was then too late to be saving. Mrs. Bennet had no turn for economy, and her husband's love of independence had alone prevented their exceeding their income. Five thousand pounds was settled by marriage articles on Mrs. Bennet and the children, but in what proportions it should be divided amongst the latter depended on the will of the parents. This was one point, with regard to Lydia, at least, which was now to be settled, and Mr. Bennet could have no hesitation in acceding to the proposal before him, in terms of grateful acknowledgment for the kindness of his brother, though expressed most concisely, he then delivered on paper his perfect approbation of all that was done, and his willingness to fulfil the engagements that had been made of him. He had never before supposed that, could Wickham be prevailed on to marry his daughter, it would be done with so little inconvenience to himself as by the present arrangement. He would scarcely be ten pounds a year the loser by the hundred that was to be paid then, for what with her board and pocket allowance, and the continual presence in money which passed to her through her mother's hands, Lydia's expenses had been very little within that sum. That it would be done with such trifling exertion on his side, too, was another very welcome surprise, for his wish at present was to have as little trouble in the business as possible. When the first transports of rage which had produced his activity in seeking her were over, he naturally returned to all his former indolence. His letter was soon dispatched, for, though dilatory in undertaking business, he was quick in its execution. He begged to know further particulars of what he was indebted to his brother, but was too angry with Lydia to send any message to her. The good news spread quickly through the house, and with proportionate speed through the neighbourhood. It was born in the latter with decent philosophy. To be sure, it would have been more for the advantage of conversation had Miss Lydia Bennet come upon the town, or, as the happiest alternative, been secluded from the world in some distant farmhouse. But there was much to be talked of in marrying her, and the good-natured wishes for her well-doing, which had proceeded before from all the spiteful old ladies in Meryton, lost but a little of their spirits in this change of circumstances, because with such a husband her misery was considered certain. It was a fortnight since Mrs. Bennet had been downstairs. But on this happy day, she again took a seat at the head of her table, and in spirits oppressively high. No sentiment of shame gave a damp to her triumph. The marriage of a daughter, which had been the first object of her wishes since Jane was sixteen, was now on the point of accomplishment, and her thoughts and her words ran wholly on those attendants of elegant nuptials, fine muslins, new carriages, and servants. She was busily searching through the neighbourhood for a proper situation for her daughter, and without knowing or considering what their income might be, rejected many as deficient in size and importance. "'Hey, Park, my do,' said she, "'if the Goldings could quit it, or the great house at Stoke, if the drawing-room were larger. But Ashworth is too far off. I could not bear to have her ten miles from me, and as for Povis Lodge, the attics are dreadful.' Her husband allowed her to talk on without interruption while the servants remained. Mrs. Bennet, before you take any or all of these houses for your son and daughter, let us come to a right understanding. Into one house in this neighbourhood they shall never have admittance. I will not encourage the impudence of either by receiving them at Longbourn. A long dispute followed this declaration, but Mr. Bennet was firm. It soon led to another and Mrs. Bennet found, with amazement and horror, that her husband would not advance a guinea to buy clothes for his daughter. He protested that she should receive from him no mark of affection whatever on the occasion. Mrs. Bennet could hardly comprehend it, 
that his anger could be carried to such a point of inconceivable resentment as to refuse his daughter a privilege without which her marriage would scarcely seem valid exceeded all she could believe possible. She was more alive to the disgrace which her want of new clothes must reflect on her daughter's nuptials than to any sense of shame at her eloping and living with Wickham a fortnight before they took place. Elizabeth was now most heartily sorry that she had, from the distress of the moment, been led to make Mr. Darcy acquainted with their fears for her sister. Well, since her marriage would so shortly give the proper termination to the elopement, they might hope to conceal its unfavourable beginnings from all those who were not immediately on the spot. She had no fear of its spreading farther through his means. There were few people on whose secrecy she would have more confidently depended, but at the same time, there was no one whose knowledge of a sister's frailty would have mortified her so much, not, however, from any fear of disadvantage from it individually to herself, for at any rate there seemed a gulf impassable between them. Had Lydia's marriage been concluded on the most honourable terms, it was not to be supposed that Mr. Darcy would connect himself with a family where, to every other object, would now be added an alliance and relationship of the nearest kind with a man whom he so justly scorned. From such a connection she could not wonder that he would shrink. The wish of procuring her regard, which she had assured herself of his feelings in Derbyshire, could not in rational expectation survive such a blow as this. She was humbled, she was grieved, she repented, though she hardly knew of what. She became jealous of his esteem, when she could no longer hope to be benefited by it. She wanted to hear of him, when there seemed the least chance of gaining intelligence. She was convinced that she could have been happy with him, when it was no longer likely they should meet. What a triumph for him, as she often thought, could he know that the proposals which she had proudly spurned only four months ago would now have been most gladly and gratefully received. He was as generous, she doubted not, as the most generous of his sex, but while he was mortal, there must be a triumph. She began now to comprehend that he was exactly the man who, in disposition and talents, would most suit her. His understanding and temper, though unlike her own, would have answered all her wishes, it was a union that must have been to the advantage of both. By her ease and liveliness, his mind might have been softened, his manners improved, and from his judgment, information, and knowledge of the world, she must have received benefit of greater importance. But no such happy marriage could now teach the admiring multitude what connubial felicity really was. A union of a different tendency, and precluding the possibility of the other, was soon to be formed in their family. How Wickham and Lydia were to be supported in tolerable independence she could not imagine, but how little of permanent happiness could belong to a couple who were only brought together because their passions were stronger than their virtue she could easily conjecture. Mr. Gardiner soon wrote again to his brother. To Mr. Bennet's acknowledgments he briefly replied, with assurance of his eagerness to promote the welfare of any of his family, and concluded with entreaties that the subject might never be mentioned to him again principal purport of his letter was to inform them that Mr. Wickham had resolved on quitting the militia. "'It was greatly my wish that he should do so,' he added, "'as soon as his marriage was fixed on, and I think you will agree with me in considering the removal from that corps as highly advisable, both on his account and my niece's. It is Mr. Wickham's intentions to go into the regulars, and among his former friends there are still some who are able and willing to assist him in the army. He has the promise of an insurgency in General's regiment, now quartered in the north.' It is an advantage to have it so far from this part of the kingdom. He promises fairly, and I hope among different people, where they may each have a character to preserve, they will both be more prudent. I have written to Colonel Forster to inform him of our present arrangements, and to request that he will satisfy the various creditors of Mr. Wickham, in and near Brighton, with assurances of speedy payment, for which I have pledged myself. And will you give yourself the trouble of carrying similar assurances to his creditors in Meryton, of whom I shall subjoin a list according to his information. He is given in all his debts. I hope at least he has not deceived us. Haggerston has our directions, and all will be completed in a week. They will then join his regiment, unless they are first invited to Longbourn, and I understand from Mrs. Gardiner that my niece is very desirous of seeing you all before she leaves the South. She is well, and begs to be dutifully remembered to you and your mother. Yours, etc., E. Gardiner. Mr. Bennet and his daughters saw all the advantages of Wickham's removal from the Shire as clearly as Mr. Gardiner could do, but Mrs. Bennet was not so well pleased with it. Lydia's being settled in the North, just when she had expected most pleasure and pride in her company, for she had by no means given up her plan of them residing in Hertfordshire, was a severe disappointment, and besides, it was such a pity that Lydia should be taken from a regiment where she was acquainted with everybody and had so many favourites. 
"'She is so fond of Mrs. Forster,' said she. "'It will be quite shocking to send her away. "'And there are several other young men, too, that she likes very much. "'Their officers may not be so pleasant in General's regiment.' "'His daughter's request, for such it might be considered, "'of being admitted into her family again before she set off for the North, "'received at first an absolute negative. "'But Jane and Elizabeth, who agreed in wishing, "'for the sake of their sister's feelings and consequence, "'that she should be noticed on her marriage by her parents,' urged him so earnestly, yet so rationally and so mildly, to receive her and her husband at Longbourn, as soon as they were married, that he was prevailed on to think as they thought, and act as they wished. And their mother had the satisfaction of knowing that she would be able to show her married daughter in the neighbourhood before she was banished to the north. When Mr. Bennet wrote again to his brother, therefore, he sent his permission for them to come, and it was settled that as soon as the ceremony was over, they should proceed to Longbourn. Elizabeth was surprised, however, that Wickham should consent to such a scheme, and had she consulted only her own inclination, any meeting with him would have been the last object of her wishes. Chapter 51 Their sister's wedding day arrived, and Jane and Elizabeth felt for her probably more than she felt for herself. A carriage was sent to meet them, and they were to return in it by dinner time. Their arrival was dreaded by the elder Miss Bennets, and Jane more especially, who gave Lydia the feelings which would have attended herself had she been the culprit, and was wretched in the thought of what her sister must endure. They came. The family was assembled in the breakfast-room to receive them. Smiles decked the face of Mrs. Bennet as the carriage drove up to the door. Her husband looked impenetrably grave. Her daughters, alarmed, anxious, uneasy. Lydia's voice was heard in the vestibule. The door was thrown open, and she ran into the room. Her mother stepped forwards, embraced her, and welcomed her with rapture, gave her hand with an affectionate smile to Wickham, who followed his lady, and wished them both joy with an alacrity which showed no doubt of their happiness. Their reception from Mr. Bennet, to whom they then turned, was not quite so cordial. His countenance rather gained in austerity, and he scarcely opened his lips. The easy assurance of the young couple, indeed, was enough to provoke him. Elizabeth was disgusted, and even Miss Bennet was shocked. Lydia was Lydia still. Untamed, unabashed, wild, noisy, and fearless, she turned from sister to sister, demanding their congratulations, and when at length they all sat down, looked eagerly round the room, took notice of some little alteration in it, and observed with a laugh that it was a great while since she had been there. Wickham was not at all more distressed than herself, but his manners were always so pleasing that had his character and his marriage been exactly what they ought, his smiles and his easy address, while he claimed their relationship, would have delighted them all. Elizabeth had not before believed him quite equal to such assurance, but she sat down, resolving within herself to draw no limits in future to the impudence of an impudent man. She blushed, and Jane blushed, but the cheeks of the two who caused their confusion suffered no variation of colour. There was no want of disclosure. The bride and her mother could neither of them talk fast enough, and Wickham, who happened to sit near Elizabeth, began inquiring after his acquaintance in that neighbourhood, with a good-humoured ease which she felt very unable to equal in her replies. They seemed each of them to have the happiest memories in the world. Nothing of the past was recollected with pain, and Lydia led voluntarily to subjects which her sisters would not have alluded to for the world. "'Oh, think of it being three months!' she cried. "'Since I went away! It seems but a fortnight, I declare, and yet there have been things enough happened in the time. Good gracious! When I went away, I am sure I had no more idea of being married till I came back again, though I thought it would be very good fun if I was.' Her father lifted up his eyes. Jane was distressed. Elizabeth looked expressively at Lydia. But she, who never heard nor saw anything of which she chose to be insensible, gaily continued. "'Oh, Mamma, do the people hereabouts know I am married today? I was afraid they might not, and we overtook William Golding in his curricle, so I determined he should know it, and so I let down the side-glass next to him, took off my glove, and let my hand just rest upon the window-frame, so that he might see the ring, and then I bowed and smiled like anything.' Elizabeth could bear it no longer. She got up and ran out of the room, and returned no more till she heard them passing through the hall to the dining parlour. She then joined them soon enough to see Lydia, with anxious parade, walking up to her mother's right hand, and hear her say to her eldest sister, "'Oh, Jane, I take your place now, and you must go lower, because I am a married woman.' It was not to be supposed that time would give Lydia the embarrassment from which she had been so wholly free at first. Her ease and good spirits increased. 
she longed to see Mrs. Phillips, the Lucases, and all their other neighbours, and to hear herself called Mrs. Wickham by each of them. And in the meantime, she went after dinner to show her ring, and boast of being married to Mrs. Hill and the two housemaids. "'Well, Mamma," said she, when they were all returned to the breakfast-room, "'and what do you think of my husband? Is not he a charming man? I am sure my sisters must all envy me.' I only hope they may have half my good luck. They must all go to Brighton. That is the place to get husbands. What a pity it is, Mamma, that we did not all go. Very true, and if I had my will, we should. But, my dear Lydia, I do not at all like your going such a way off. Must it be so? Oh, Lord, yes. There is nothing in that. I shall like it of all things. You and Papa and my sisters must come down and see us. We shall be at Newcastle all winter, and I dare say there will be some balls, and I will take care to get good partners for them all. I should like it beyond anything, said her mother. And then when you go away, you will leave one or two of my sisters behind you, and I dare say I shall get husbands for them before the winter is over. I thank you for my share of the favour, said Elizabeth but I do not particularly like your way of getting husbands. Their visitors were not to remain above ten days with them. Mr. Wickham had received his commission before he left London, and he was to join his regiment at the end of a fortnight. No one but Mrs. Binnett regretted that their stay would be so short, and she made the most of the time by visiting about with her daughter, and having very frequent parties at home. These parties were acceptable to all. To avoid a family circle was even more desirable to such as did think, as such as did not. Wickham's affection for Lydia was just what Elizabeth had expected to find it, not equal to Lydia's for him. She had scarcely needed her present observations to be satisfied, from the reason of things, that their elopement had been brought on by the strength of her love, rather than by his, and she would have wondered why, without violently caring for her, he chose to elope with her at all, had she not felt certain that his flight was rendered necessary by distress of circumstances, and if that were the case, he was not the young man to resist an opportunity of having a companion. Lydia was exceedingly fond of him. He was her dear Wickham on every occasion. No one was to be put in competition with him. He did everything best in the world, and she was sure he would kill more birds on the 1st of September than anybody else in the country. One morning, soon after their arrival, as she was sitting with her two elder sisters, she said to Elizabeth, "'Lizzie, I never gave you an account of my wedding, I believe. You were not by when I told Mamma and the others all about it. I'm not too curious to hear how it was managed.' "'No, really,' replied Elizabeth. "'I think there cannot be too little said on the subject.' "'La, you are so strange. "'But I must tell you how it went off. "'We were married, you know, at St. Clement's, "'because Wickham's lodgings were in that parish, "'and it was settled that we should all be there by eleven o'clock. "'My uncle and aunt and I were to go together, "'and the others were to meet us at the church. "'Well, Monday morning came, and I was in such a fuss. "'I was so afraid, you know, that something would happen to put it off, "'and then I should have gone quite distracted.' And there was my aunt, all the time I was dressing, preaching and talking away, just as if she was reading a sermon. However, I did not hear above one word in ten, for I was thinking, you may suppose, of my dear Wickham. I longed to know whether he would be married in his blue coat. Well, and so we breakfasted at ten as usual. I thought it would never be over, for by the by, you are to understand that my uncle and aunt were horrid and pleasant all the time I was with them. If you believe me, I did not once put my foot out of doors, though I was there a fortnight, not one party or scheme or anything. To be sure, London was rather thin, but however, the little theatre was open. Well, and so, just as the carriage came to the door, my uncle was called away upon business to that horrid man, Mr. Stone. And then, you know, when once they get together, there is no end of it. Well, I was so frightened, I did not know what to do, for my uncle was to give me away, and if we were beyond the hour, we could not be married all day. But luckily, he came back in ten minutes' time, and then we all set out. However, I recollected afterwards that if he had been prevented going, the wedding need not be put off, for Mr. Darcy might have done as well. Mr. Darcy? repeated Elizabeth in utter amazement. Oh, yes, he was to come there with Wickham, you know. But gracious me, I quite forgot. I ought not to have said a word about it. I promised him so faithfully. What will Wickham say? It was to be such a secret. If it was to be a secret, said Jane. Say not another word on the subject. You may depend upon my seeking no further. Oh, certainly, 
said Elizabeth, though burning with curiosity. We will ask you no questions. Thank you, said Lydia. For if you did, I should certainly tell you all, and then Wickham would be angry. On such encouragement to ask, Elizabeth was forced to put it out of her power by running away. But to live in ignorance on such a point was impossible, or at least it was impossible not to try for information. Mr. Darcy had been at her sister's wedding. It was exactly a scene, and exactly among people, where he had apparently least to do, and least temptation to go. Conjectures as to the meaning of it, rapid and wild, hurried into her brain, but she was satisfied with none. Those that best pleased her, as placing his conduct in the noblest light, seemed most improbable. She could not bear such suspense, and hastily seizing a sheet of paper, wrote a short letter to her aunt, to request an explanation of what Lydia had dropped, if it were compatible with the secrecy which had been intended. "'You may readily comprehend,' she added, "'what my curiosity must be to know how a person unconnected with any of us, and, comparatively speaking, a stranger to our family, should have been amongst you at such a time.' Pray write instantly, and let me understand it, unless it is, for very cogent reasons, to remain in the secrecy which Lydia seems to think necessary, and then I must endeavour to be satisfied with ignorance. Not that I shall, though, she added to herself as she finished the letter. My dear aunt, if you do not tell me in an honourable manner, I shall certainly be reduced to tricks and stratagems to find it out. Jane's delicate sense of honour would not allow her to speak to Elizabeth privately of what Lydia had let fall. Elizabeth was glad of it, till it appeared whether her inquiries would receive any satisfaction. She had rather be without a confidant. Chapter 52 Elizabeth had the satisfaction of receiving an answer to her letter as soon as she possibly could. She was no sooner in possession of it than, hurrying into the little copse where she was least likely to be interrupted, she sat down on one of the benches and prepared to be happy, for the length of the letter convinced her that it did not contain a denial. Gracechurch Street, September 6th my dear niece, I have just received your letter, and shall devote this whole morning to answering it, as I foresee that a little writing will not compromise what I have to tell you. I must confess myself surprised by your application. I did not expect it from you. Don't think me angry, however, for I only mean to let you know that I had not imagined such inquiries to be necessary on your side. If you do not choose to understand me, forgive my impertinence. Your uncle is as much surprised as I am, and nothing but the belief of your being a party concerned would have allowed me to act as he had done. But if you are really innocent and ignorant, I must be more explicit. On the very day of my coming home from Longbourn, your uncle had a most unexpected visitor. Mr. Darcy called, and was shut up with him several hours. It was all over before I arrived, so my curiosity was not so dreadfully racked as yours seems to have been. He came to tell Mr. Gardiner that he had found out where your sister and Mr. Wickham were, and that he had talked with them both. Wickham repeatedly, Lydia once. From what I can collect, he left Derbyshire only one day after ourselves, and came to town with the resolution of hunting for them. The motive professed was his conviction of its being owing to himself that Wickham's worthlessness had not been so well known as to make it impossible for any young woman of character to love or confide in him. He generously imputed the whole of his mistake in pride, and confessed that he had before thought it beneath him to lay his private actions open to the world. His character was to speak for itself. He called it, therefore, his duty to step forward and endeavour to remedy an evil which had been brought on by himself. If he had another motive, I am sure it would never disgrace him. He had been some days in town before he was able to discover them, but he had something to direct his search, which was more than we had, and the consciousness of this was another reason for his resolving to follow us. There is a lady, it seems, a Mrs. Young, who was some time ago governess to Miss Darcy, and was dismissed from a charge on some cause of disapprobation, though he did not say what. She then took a large house in Edward Street, and was since maintained herself by letting lodgings. This Mrs. Young was, he knew, immediately acquainted with Wickham, and he went to her for intelligence of him as soon as he got to town, but it was two or three days before he could get from her what he wanted. She would not betray her trust, I suppose, without bribery and corruption, for she really did know where her friend was to be found. Wickham indeed had gone to her on their first arrival in London, and had she been able to receive them into her house, they would have taken up their abode with her. At length, however, our kind friend procured the wished-for direction. They were in such and such a street. He saw Wickham, and afterwards insisted on seeing Lydia. His first object with her, he acknowledged, had been to persuade her to quit her present disgraceful situation and return to her friends as soon as they could be prevailed on to receive her, offering his assistance as far as it would go. 
but he found Lydia absolutely resolved on remaining where she was. She cared for none of her friends. She wanted no help of his. She would not hear of leaving Wickham. She was sure they would be married some time or other, and it did not much signify when. Since such were her feelings, it only remained, he thought, to secure and expedite a marriage, which, in his very first conversation with Wickham, he easily learnt had never been his design. He confessed himself obliged to leave the regiment on account of some debt of honour, which were very pressing, and scrupled not to lay all the ill consequences on Lydia's flight on her own folly alone. He meant to resign his commission immediately, and as to his future situation, he could conjecture very little about it. He must go somewhere, but he did not know where, and he knew he should have nothing to live on. Mr. Darcy asked him why he had not married your sister at once. Though Mr. Bennet was not imagined to be very rich, he would have been able to do something for him, and his situation must have been benefited by marriage. But he found in reply to his question that Wickham still cherished the hope of more effectually making his fortune by marriage in some other country. Under such circumstances, however, he was not likely to be proof against the temptation of immediate relief. They met several times, for there was much to be discussed. Wickham, of course, wanted more than he could get, but at length was reduced to be reasonable. Everything being settled between them, Mr. Darcy's next step was to make your uncle acquainted with it, and he first called in Gracechurch Street the evening before I came home. But Mr. Gardiner could not be seen, and Mr. Darcy found, on further inquiry, that your father was still with him, and would quit town the next morning. He did not judge your father to be a person he could so properly consult as your uncle, and therefore readily postponed seeing him till after the departure of the former. He did not leave his name, and till the next day it was only known that a gentleman had called on business. On Saturday he came again. Your father was gone, your uncle at home, and as I said before, they had a great deal of talk together. They met again on Sunday, and then I saw him too. It was not all settled before Monday. As soon as it was, the express was sent off to Longbourn. But our visitor was very obstinate. I fancy, Lizzie, that obstinacy is the real defect of his character after all. He has been accused of many faults at different times, but this is the true one. Nothing was to be done that he did not do himself, though I am sure, and I do not speak it to be thanked, therefore say nothing about it. Your uncle would steadily have settled the whole. They battled it together for a long time, which was more than either the gentleman or lady concerned in it deserved. But at last your uncle was forced to yield, and instead of being allowed to be of use to his niece, was forced to put up with only having the probable credit of it, which went sorely against the grain. And I really believe your letter this morning gave him great pleasure, because it required an explanation which would rob him of his borrowed feathers, and give the praise where it was due. But Lizzie, this must go no farther than yourself, or Jane at most. You know pretty well, I suppose, what has been done for the young people. His debts are to be paid, amounting, I believe, to considerably more than one thousand pounds, another thousand in addition to her own settled upon her, and his commission purchased. The reason why all this was to be done by him alone was such as I have given above. It was owing to him, to his reserve and want of proper consideration, that Wickham's character had been so misunderstood, and consequently that he had been received and noticed as he was. Perhaps there was some truth in this, though I doubt whether his reserve, or anybody's reserve, can be answerable for the event. But in spite of all this fine talking, my dear Lizzie, you may rest perfectly assured that your uncle would never have yielded if we had not given him credit for another interest in the affair. When all this was resolved on, he returned again to his friends, who were still staying at Pemberley, and it was agreed that he should be in London once more when the wedding took place, and all money matters were then to receive the last finish. I believe I have now told you everything. It is a relation which you tell me is to give you great surprise. I hope at least it will not afford you any displeasure. Lydia came to us, and Wickham had constant admission to the house. He was exactly what he had been when I knew him in Hertfordshire, but I would not tell you how little I was satisfied with her behaviour while she stayed with us, if I had not perceived by Jane's letter last Wednesday that her conduct on coming home was exactly of a piece with it, and therefore what I now tell you can give you no fresh pain." I talked to her repeatedly in the most serious manner, representing to her all the wickedness of what she had done, and all the unhappiness she had brought on her family. If she heard me, it was by good luck, for I am sure she did not listen. I was sometimes quite provoked, but then I recollected my dear Elizabeth and Jane, and for their sakes had patience with her. Mr. Darcy was punctual in his return, and as Lydia informed you, attended the wedding. He dined with us the next day, and was to leave town again on Wednesday or Thursday. Will you be angry with me, my dear Lizzie, if I take this opportunity of saying, what I was never bold enough to say before, how much I like him? His behaviour to us has, in every respect, been as pleasing as when we were in Derbyshire. 
His understanding and opinions all please me. He wants nothing but a little more liveliness, and that, if he marry prudently, his wife may teach him. I thought him very sly. He hardly ever mentioned your name, but slyness seems the fashion. Pray forgive me if I have been very presuming, or at least do not punish me so far as to exclude me from Pemberley. I shall never be quite happy till I have been all round the park. A low phaeton with a nice little pair of ponies would be the very thing. But I must write no more. The children have been wanting me this half hour. Yours very sincerely, M. Gardner. The contents of this letter threw Elizabeth into a flutter of spirits, in which it was difficult to determine whether pleasure or pain bore the greatest share. The vague and unsettled suspicions, which uncertainty had produced of what Mr. Darcy might have been doing to forward her sister's match, which she had feared to encourage as such an exertion of goodness too great to be probable, and at the same time dreaded to be just, from the pain of obligation, were proved beyond their greatest extent to be true. He had followed them purposely to town. He had taken on himself all the trouble and mortification attendant on such a research, in which supplication had been necessary to a woman whom he must abominate and despise, and where he was reduced to meet, frequently meet, reason with, persuade, and finally bribe, the man whom he always most wished to avoid, and whose very name it was a punishment to him to pronounce. He had done all this for a girl whom he could neither regard nor esteem. Her heart did whisper that he had done it for her but it was a hope shortly checked by other considerations, and she soon felt that even her vanity was insufficient when required to depend on his affection for her, for a woman who had already refused him, as able to overcome a sentiment so natural as abhorrence against relationship with Wickham. Brother-in-law of Wickham, every kind of pride must revolt from the connection. He had, to be sure, done much. She was ashamed to think how much, but he had given a reason for his interference, which asked no extraordinary stretch of belief. It was reasonable that he should feel he had been wrong. He had liberality, and he had the means of exercising it, and though she would not place herself as his principal inducement, she could, perhaps, believe that remaining partiality for her might assist his endeavours in a cause where her peace of mind must be materially concerned. It was painful, exceedingly painful, to know that they were under obligations to a person who could never receive a return. They owed the restoration of Lydia, her character, everything to him. Oh, how heartily did she grieve over every ungracious sensation she had ever encouraged, every saucy speech she had ever directed towards him. For herself, she was humbled, but she was proud of him, proud that in a cause of compassion and honour he had been able to get the better of himself. She read over her aunt's commendation of him again and again. It was hardly enough, but it pleased her. She was even sensible of some pleasure, though mixed with regret, on finding how steadfastly both she and her uncle had been persuaded that affection and confidence subsisted between Mr. Darcy and herself. She was roused from her seat and her reflections by someone's approach, and before she could strike into another path, she was overtaken by Wickham. "'I'm afraid I interrupt your solitary ramble, my dear sister,' said he as he joined her. "'You certainly do,' she replied with a smile. "'But it does not follow that the interruption must be unwelcome. "'I should be sorry indeed if it were. "'We were always good friends, and now we are better.' "'True. Are the others coming out?' "'I do not know. Mrs. Bennet and Lydia are going in the carriage to Meryton. "'And so, my dear sister, I find from her uncle and aunt that you have actually seen Pemberley.' "'She replied in the affirmative. "'I almost envy you the pleasure.' "'and yet I believe it would be too much for me, "'or else I could take it in my way to Newcastle. "'And you saw the old housekeeper, I suppose. "'Poor Reynolds. "'She was always very fond of me, "'but of course she did not mention my name to you.' "'Yes, she did. "'And what did she say?' "'That you were gone into the army, "'and she was afraid had not turned out well. "'At such a distance as that, you know, "'things are strangely misrepresented.' "'Certainly.' he replied, biting his lips. Elizabeth hoped she had silenced him, but he soon afterwards said, "'I was surprised to see Darcy in town last month. We passed each other several times. I wonder what he can be doing there.' "'Perhaps preparing for his marriage with Mr. Berg,' said Elizabeth. "'It must be something particular to take him there at this time of year.' "'Undoubtedly. Did you see him while you were at Lambton? I thought I understood from the gardeners that you had.' "'Yes.' He introduced us to his sister. And do you like her? Very much. I have heard, indeed, that she is uncommonly improved within this year or two. When I last saw her, she was not very promising. I am very glad you liked her. I hope she will turn out well. 
I dare say she will. She has got over the most trying age. Did you go by the village of Campton? I do not recollect that we did. I mention it because it is the living which I ought to have had. A most delightful place. Excellent parsonage house. It would have suited me in every respect. How should you have liked making sermons? Exceedingly well. I should have considered it as part of my duty, and the exertion would soon have been nothing. Well, not not to repine, but to be sure, it would have been such a thing for me. The quiet, the retirement of such a life would have answered all my ideas of happiness. But it was not to be. Did you ever hear Darcy mention the circumstance when you were in Kent? I have heard from authority, which I thought is good, that it was left you conditionally only, and at the will of the present patron. You have? Yes, there was something in that. I told you so from the first, you may remember. I did hear, too, that there was a time when sermon-making was not so palatable to you as it seems to be at present, that you actually declared your resolution of never taking orders, and that the business had been compromised accordingly. You did, and it was not wholly without foundation. You may remember what I told you on that point when we first talked of it. They were now almost at the door of the house, for she had walked fast to get rid of him, and unwilling for her sister's sake to provoke him, she only said in reply with a good-humoured smile, Come, Mr. Wickham, we are brother and sister, you know. Do not let us quarrel about the past. In future, I hope we will always be of one mind. She held out her hand. He kissed it with affectionate gallantry, though he hardly knew how to look, and they entered the house. Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to enter the drawing for that awesome hardcover edition of Pride and Prejudice by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash anotherworldaudiobooks. And remember to check out the blog, anotherworldaudiobooks.wordpress.com, and if you accidentally click through those Amazon banners, I'm not saying it'll help the podcast at all, but you might have fun clicking on them all the same. If you enjoyed this, would you consider letting me know by leaving a rating? It helps so much. Or if that's too much work, I want you to ask yourself, which one of your friends would love this podcast? Good things are meant to be shared, so pass it on. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for the next installment.